If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Looking today in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Today actually begins in our church calendar. And when I say the church calendar, I mean the church as a whole. The calendar of the church begins the first day of Advent. Now, uh, many of you may be familiar with that term, and many of you may have thought that I just cursed at you. What is Advent? Advent. Uh, Advent simply means the coming. And so as we celebrate Advent, we first celebrate the first coming of Jesus. Jesus, who came from heaven to be wrapped in human flesh, to be laid in a feeding trough, to be humbled, and yet coming to live a perfect life and to die for us, to be buried in a grave and to be resurrected on high. We celebrate that first coming. But Advent also looks forward not only to the coming of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, but it looks forward to the second coming of Jesus as well. There will be a second Advent. Just as surely as there was a first Advent where Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, so there will be a second Advent where Jesus returns to make all things right and new. And so it's the first day of Advent. I love this time of year. I know, I know it's probably because I married into a family that Christmas is their last name. I think it legally might be their last name. They might have changed it this year. They love the Christmas season, but the more and more, the closer and closer December gets here, I love it. In fact, I told Jordan this morning, it's the first day of Advent, and that lines up with my Christmas series. It's like the Lord has just structured it all. And I told her, I said, I'm going to be disappointed if we don't sing a Christmas hymn this morning. I'm going to make a stink. But we didn't have to do that because we just, I mean, the Lord just worked everything out. We sang one of my favorite Christmas hymns this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But as we look at the Advent season, I want it to this year. We have four Sundays left before, uh, before, we, uh, before we end this season. And so I want it to spend these four Sundays talking about four Advent songs. Four Advent songs. I love, I just mentioned Christmas hymns. I think there are no greater hymns than Christmas hymns. I love Easter hymns. They're, they're second best. They're right up there. But I love our Christmas hymns. We have some great ones. But I wanted to point to four songs in Scripture for the next four weeks that point forward to the coming of Jesus. And so it may be strange that we begin talking about the coming of Jesus in the book of Genesis, but I think this is the place we must begin. And so we'll begin a familiar story today in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We know that the word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we consider this text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word that is so clear. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that impresses it upon us and teaches us and grows us. So we pray this morning that you would bring those together, that you would help us to understand your word, that your Holy Spirit would blow upon us, that would open eyes, open hearts, that you would change us, Lord, and that you would bring us to an understanding of who you are so that we may praise your name and glorify you rightly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice there's a key word here in this situation. A familiar story, but often one that we, uh, we seclude almost. We, we section it off for our children's Bibles, and we section it off for our children's Sunday school uh, material. It's often become a cartoon because it's, it's a little bit different, right? You have a talking serpent. Uh, where do you find talking serpents? You find them in cartoons. And so we've almost made this childish in a way. But what we see here is not just a story. What we see here is history. What we see here is the actual event that, that explains the, the way that our world operates today. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we read in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning there was God, and he created all that we see, the heavens and the earth. We see that God created uh, this world to be perfect. We, cre- we saw that he, he brought forth from this, from nothing, everything that we see. And he proclaimed divinely. He called it good. He separated the light from the darkness. He separated the ground from the water. Uh, he created this perfect garden in the world. And on the sixth day, he created man to tend the garden, to be a priest in the garden, to expand the garden and to live as his representative. He said, in my image, I will make you. And yet he finally said something wasn't good. In scripture, he says, something is not good. It's not good that man should be alone. And so God had Adam name the animals, brought forth all the animals in the world to show that there was not a helper suited, suitable for him. And then he put Adam to sleep and brought from Adam's side a rib. And he made woman. And then we had the first song in all of scripture. The first song in all of scripture. Can you imagine what the first song is about? The first song that we ever see in scripture is when God brings Eve, this newly created woman, this first woman, brings her to her husband and he bursts forth in song. He says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. 
you are suitable for me. And we see this divine marriage take place. And at the end of it, God says, this is good. But then we read something else. Genesis chapter 3 begins. In Genesis chapter 3, we read the words, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the beast of the fields. And when we talk about the serpent here, we're not talking about just snakes in general. I know, I know there's certain people in here that if there was even a toy snake in this room, they'd be out of here. I know that, and you know that too. But this is not just snakes. This is not explaining why man doesn't like snakes. There's something demonic about this snake. In fact, this is Satan himself in the form of a serpent tempting the people of God, tempting the man and the woman. And here, they're placed in this perfect garden. They have all the food they could want. They have all the drink that they could want. They have the the fellowship they want. They have the fellowship with God that they want. And yet the serpent tempts Eve and says, did God say that you could not eat of this tree? This one prohibition that God had given you, did God really say that? And we see the story unfold before our eyes. Eve looks at the fruit. She falls prey to the serpent's temptation. And she says, the fruit looks good. It can make me wise. It can make me like God. And so she takes of the fruit. She eats of the fruit. And she hands it to her husband who is with her. And he eats as well. And then notice what it says. As soon as they eat, their eyes are open and they realize that they're naked. And we see shame enter the world. Have you ever felt shamed? Ashamed? Embarrassed? It's not a good feeling to be embarrassed. To be ashamed. And yet this is the source of this. Never before had shame entered into the human uh, conscious. It was, it was not there before. There's no such thing as shame. But now there's shame. And so man and woman, they realize they're naked. They seek to cover themselves with fig leaves. And then they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And before a sound, a sound that would bring joy to their hearts to be able to walk with God, we sing the song, I come to the garden with Him, right? A, a song full of joy, uh, saying how much we long to be walking with God and experiencing the, the beauties of who God is. And yet this sound that once brought joy now brings terror. And they hide themselves. Never had fear happened in mankind. Have you ever felt afraid, genuinely afraid, genuinely uh, feeling despair in your bones? Where does that come from? From a simple bite of a fruit. And here, here's fear and terror because God is walking in the midst of the garden and they have sinned against God. God calls to them and says, where are you? And they respond, we heard the sound of your voice and we were afraid. We were afraid. And God said, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Never had blame occurred. In all of creation, there had never been blame. And yet here, man who is supposed to be the head of his wife, the supporter of his wife, the protector of his wife, and the protector of the garden, when God questions him, have you done this? He diverts the blame. Notice what he says. The woman that you gave me. Not only is he blaming the woman, but he's blaming God for giving him the woman. We see that blame enters the world. Have you ever been unjustly blamed? Have you ever felt the sting of being 
unjustly accused of something? And yet we see today many stories of people who have been accused of crimes and placed away in prison for most of their life only to have DNA evidence reverse the call. Where does that injustice come from? It comes from this garden scene. So God turns to the woman and says, what is this that you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She passes the blame to the serpent. And then we read this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. Cursed are you. There's a big difference in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And the biggest difference is that little word, cursed. You and I live in a world and we are under a curse. We are under a curse, the curse of sin. And that curse, the origin of that curse, goes all the way back to the sin of Adam and Eve, the sin that you and I were involved in. Evolved in? Well, I wasn't there. No. But Adam and Eve, acting as our representative, took of the fruit and ate. And now you and I are under a curse. Do you feel the curse? We feel the curse daily. Weekly, when you wake up in the morning and you feel your joints hurting and you feel the very death in your bones, they didn't feel that way 20 years ago. They feel that way now. And I'm told it gets worse. There's death in the curse and you feel it in your bones and you feel it, you feel it in your family when you look around and it comes time for Christmas and Christmas is supposed to be a joyous time. The holidays are supposed to be full of joy and splendor and yet many of us, I dare say, every one of us will gather this year with a missing family member because we live under a curse. And many of us, those family members have been taken from us through disease and sickness. We live under a curse. Where does this curse come from? Well, this curse is, is the direct product of sin, the direct consequence of sin. This curse was not intended for human beings. And yet God gave the prohibition, do not eat of this fruit of this tree. Do not eat of it, or you will surely die. And this is what happens. And so God tells the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This, uh, this curse upon the serpent, uh, we certainly, uh, I don't think that necessarily we're supposed to explain this away of, that serpents used to have feet and now they have to crawl. I don't think that's the main point. I think the main point is the humiliation that now Satan is under because of his great sin. And that those who are underneath the rule of Satan now experience humiliation because of this. In fact, Ephesians 2, Paul talks about us being children of disobedience. We are deceived by the prince of the powers of the air and we are chasing after every appetite that we can grasp hold of. And with that comes humiliation. And with that comes dust. And this curse falls upon, uh, upon Satan. But God is not done cursing, pronouncing judgment. Instead, he continues on and he tells the woman in verse 16. He says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The, the pain in childbearing, so much of the biblical story from Genesis all the way to Luke is the pain of women who want to have children and who cannot. 
Certainly we have uh, Mother's Day has become a big day for, for churches in America. It's actually surpassed uh, Christmas now. And so now the biggest day in church is Easter. The second day of attendance is Mother's Day. And we have a great time at Mother's Day. We honor mothers. But for every mother we honor, there are women who would desire to be a mother. And yet they cannot conceive. Where does that come from? Is that natural? That comes from being in a fallen world, a world that's under a curse. And many women in here, you had children. And for some reason, they didn't, they didn't give you painkillers when you had a child. I remember when we were, uh, we were getting ready to have uh, Knox, I believe, was our firstborn. Uh, my mom said, are y'all going to wait to find out the gender? And I said, no, we can't wait that long. And she said, well, I had to wait. We chose to wait. That's what, we chose to wait is what she said. I said, Mama, you didn't choose to wait. You had to wait. They didn't have that when you were growing up. We're not going to do that. And how far we've come it. But even still, even still, my wife had all the painkillers that they would give her. And yet, she wasn't normal right after having a baby. I mean, she wasn't back to normal. She wasn't running marathons. No, she had, her body was broken and hurting. And how many women in here have had difficult pregnancies, difficult births because of this curse that we are living under? And it continues. How many children have been born stillborn? How many mothers have died in pregnancy? Where does that come from? Where does that death come from? It comes from this curse. Moreover, the text says, Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This verse, this curse here that we're given is not, is not just giving gender roles here. This word for desire means your desire will be to take down your husband, to take him out of his position, to overrule him. And his desire will not be to rule over you as a king would, no, but to dominate you. In other words, there'll be strife between man and woman. How many of us have experienced strife between man and woman? Every one of us who is married has had a fight before because that's what marriage does. We, we fight in marriage, right? You can't have a marriage without at least one fight. You're going to have that. Where does that come from? It comes from sin. Moreover, how many of us have been touched by a divorce? How many of us have been touched by this idea uh, of, of a marriage that should have been permanent, and yet something happened? Some sin occurred, and now this is broken apart. We live under a curse, but the curse doesn't end there. Because God turns to the man, Adam, and he says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you not to eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. How many of us have tried to bring forth uh, fruit from the ground? How many of us have toiled when it came uh, Good Friday? We planted the seeds in the ground and we waited and we toiled and we hoed and we broke up the dirt and we tried and we tried and we tried. And then at the end of the harvest, we had nothing to show for it. And yeah, I believe that this doesn't even, this is the, the implication of this is not just a garden that we grow. But the implication of this is that work now is toilsome. Work comes with the sweat of our brow now. That work is now hard and work is not enjoyable as it used to be. We live under a curse. Thorns and thistles you shall bring forth. And you shall eat of the plants of the fields. 
we feel this curse every day. And it's easy for us, because it's so prevalent, it's easy for us to think that this is the way that things are. Well, this is just how things are. But it's not the way that things are meant to be. Death reigns right now. We feel it. In our lives and in our families and in our churches and in our communities, we see death and we see sin. And it's tempting to think, well, this is the way it always has been and this is the way it always will be. But I picked it wrong because of one verse. It's the emphasis of all of Genesis chapter 3. I skipped over it. I hope y'all noticed that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When God curses the serpent, he says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I'll put strife, war between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your heel. And you shall bruise, or he shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. What is that talking about? Is that talking about the fact that Man and snake aren't going to like each other? No, I think that's a little bit deeper. I think what that's talking about, that is the first, uh, the first emphasis of the good news that this will not always be. In other words, there's going to be strife between the sons of disobedience, the sons of Satan, those under demonic influences, those that Satan controls, those that seek after the prince of the power of the air, those in sin. There will be strife between them and those of the woman, the seed of God. There will, be, there will be strife between Satan and God's children all the days of the world. But read that. Genesis You shall bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. Now where does that come from? What are we talking about? Oh, is, that's a prophecy is what that is. And, and, and it shows... That something is going to happen. The offspring, that's a singular offspring. That seed, that child that comes forth out of woman, that child will destroy Satan and his works forevermore. But he will not do it without great cost. This is a Christmas hymn because it points forward to a child who is to come. An advent. The one is coming. The seed is coming. In fact, as we watch Scripture, we see this notion of the seed. It's carried through so much so that the very next chapter, who does Satan attack? Satan does not attack Adam and Eve anymore. No, he attacks their seed. He attacks their offspring. Cain and Abel both taken away in one stroke. Satan thinks he has suppressed the seed. The seed is no more. And yet God gives Seth. And as that line continues... We see that that offspring is continually attacked by Satan, that the seed is continually attacked. But what is the promise to Abraham? I will bless you and I will multiply your offspring so that they will be like the stars in the sky. And even when there are women who desire to have children who cannot, God miraculously opens their womb and gives them offspring. And then we read in Isaiah 53 that there will come one the Messiah, the offspring, the seed. And, and, and we, we would see him and, and not desire him because there would be nothing super fancy about him. No. But upon him would be laid our sins, our transgressions. And it would please God to crush him for our iniquities. And yet he would see the reward 
that he has earned. And then we come to Luke chapter 2. And we have an angel who comes. And an angel tells Mary, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have an offspring. And this offspring will save his people from their sins. Genesis 3.15 is pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus will crush the serpent's head, but he will not just crush the serpent's head. His heel will be bruised. But there's a difference between a heel wound and a head wound. Today, if you came in here and you took a big hammer and you hit me in the heel, that would hurt. I would not appreciate that. That would set me back a little bit, but I think I'd survive. But if you did the same thing to my head, that becomes a lethal blow. And here, what Genesis 3.15 tells us is that Jesus took the curse and he nailed it to the cross. And the curse that was on us is now funneled to our Messiah. That salvation is found only in him and that the curse is diverted only in him. And that the wrath of God for our sins, from every sin that we have ever committed, every sin that we continue to commit, and every sin we will commit, it is poured upon Jesus. That curse is poured upon Jesus so that Jesus tastes death so that you and I cannot taste it. So that the death that we seek here, later Jesus will refer to it, and Paul will refer to it as sleeping. Because Satan will be destroyed. Because Jesus died... But he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the grave. As we think about the advent, the first coming of Jesus, we must look forward to the time where Jesus comes back with one purpose. And the purpose is to restore his church in the Christian one final time. Romans, he says, take heart, church. The God of all peace will soon crush Satan's head under your feet. It's going to come. So we can sing this Advent season, the great hymn, Joy to the World. And in the third verse, we read this. He comes to make his blessings flow. Where? Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. It's found in every one of us. And yet the promise of the gospel is that if we trust in Jesus, if we repent of our sins and trust in him, then the curse, even the curse in us, will be reversed. That his blessings will flow far as the curse is found. But the promise isn't just for you as an individual. The promise is for us as communities. The, problem, uh, the promise is for us as a church. The promise goes to the ends of the earth because Jesus said at the end of Matthew, Go, go to the ends of the earth and I will be with you far as the curse is found. This Christmas season, the first thing, the first thing we must do based on this text is trust in a Jesus who came and a Jesus who is coming again. Trust in the one who takes care of the sin and the curse in our own heart and then promises to reverse the curse for good one day. But the second thing that we do is we proclaim that message to our neighbor. Has the curse been reversed in your life? Have you been saved? Have you trusted in Jesus? If you have, has your neighbor. If you have, has your children. Does the message of the gospel, is, is it good enough for your children? Is it good enough for your neighbor? Is it good enough for your coworker? Satan long holds sway over the people of God, and yet the message of the gospel unlocks the chains. The message of the gospel, the message of what Jesus has done, it calls people forward out of death 
And so we proclaim it to our friends and our families and our neighbors. We proclaim it until Jesus comes again. This first Christmas song ought to be on our lips and our hearts as we proclaim to all the world that Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would draw people out of darkness into your marvelous light. That you would save us this morning. And Father, more so that you would help us as we continue this Christmas season, this Advent season. We pray that you would help us to proclaim that you came and you are coming again. And that you save to the uttermost. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.